moment, I'm going to read from Daniel chapter 3. We're going to read quite a substantial portion of that chapter. One of my favorite stories in the entire Bible. We'll get there in just a minute, but I need to confess to you at the beginning that Father's Day, like Mother's Day, is a difficult Sunday for a pastor to address his congregation. Um, because it's very easy for everybody who's not a dad to just sort of tune out and unplug. And as a minister, as a teacher, I don't want to see that happen. So really, there's only two ways to handle this, a special Sunday like Father's Day. I thought about dismissing everybody in the audience except for the dads. You guys can go ahead uh, and leave, and we'll just keep the dads behind. But then I thought, well, now, wait a minute. Who's then going to drive to the restaurant? Who's going to honk their horn and shake their fist at the Sunday drivers on the way to the restaurant? When you get to the restaurant, who's going to complain about how crowded it is? Who's going to insist the kids eat all the food on their plate? Uh, who's going to complain about the service and leave a meager tip? I mean, who's going to do all those things? Besides, if I dismiss all the dads and only keep everyone else, who's going to stay awake during the message? The other solution would be to do what I've chosen to do today, and that is to identify the man that God has approved. And that way, if you're a man and you want to become one, you'll know how. And if you're a woman and you're seeking one, you're going to know how to recognize him when you do. Father's Day is indeed a special day to me because I love my dad. My dad's almost 87 years old, and he's been my father my entire life. <laughs> There's good and bad that comes with that equation and that reality, but he's been to every Little League game I ever played. He's been a part of my life through high school and college and he turned me into the man that I am today, and I thank him for that. I love him dearly. I decided a few weeks leading up to Father's Day, we would sort of address the men primarily at Grace, because I personally believe there's never been a more opportune and more critical time for men to lead in their homes, to be present in their churches, and to stand up in community than now than today in our current cultural climate. In week one, we talked about Abraham, who was a man of faith. And Abraham's faith was not affected by his own failure, and neither should yours be. It was not affected by his affluence. He made a lot of money. He was very successful, but his faith remained true. And it wasn't affected by difficulty. God give us men at Grace Community Church who are men of faith. Last time, we talked about a king, a lesser-known king of Israel named Asa, Asa, we identified Asa as a man of perseverance. At least that's the way he started because Asa's story is really quite tragic. It began strong, but he finished weak. A man of perseverance is a man who is intentional in his faith. A man whose faith isn't simply an afterthought, like a little pin he wears to church on Sunday. No, it goes deeper than that. Today I want to identify three men from the book of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You're probably familiar with those three names. In the face of death, these three men stood out from the crowd. Now I have to begin with a reality, unfortunately, in our culture, and that is that dad gets a, very, uh, gets a bum rap in our current culture. Dads are not appreciated as they ought be in our current cultural climate. Because fathers hold a very special place in society, very special, a much higher place than they're given credit for. You will never know the integral role that men play according to God by examining popular culture. For instance, how often in our favorite television sitcoms is dad an idiot? In television commercials, dad can't do anything. 
He doesn't know how to work a computer. He can't handle the kids. He can't do a load of laundry without receiving instructions from mom. Father, I want you to know that popular culture sees you only as expendable parts of a family unit. You're a sperm donor and you're a deadbeat dad. In fact, sadly, there are many fathers who've embraced that role model or that stereotype and they've become deadbeat dads, which is why the term was originally coined. As a result, their kids are growing up in unbalanced and dysfunctional homes. I don't know if you know this or not, but we've acquired a massive amount of family information from the latest government census in our nation. Did you know that currently in the United States of America, 39% of American children live without their biological father present in the home? That statistic is startling to me because that's almost one in two. Further, 44% of children living without father in the home live in poverty. Want to know one of the most important reasons to keep dad in the home? To keep children and families out of poverty. 75% of adolescents who are currently being treated for substance abuse have no father in the home. And this one is startling. 85% of youth who are now in prison grew up without a father in the home. I believe that fathers need to be reinstated to the level of importance that God has intended for them. In fact, everyone from Focus on the Family to the Barna Group, everyone agrees that the reason American morality and spiritual integrity is at such an all-time low is because of the declining value that's placed on the role of father in popular culture. Dads, you're more valuable than you realize. You see, when dad is undervalued, so is a right relationship with God. Came across a very interesting statistic. I want to share it with you. When mom decides the family and the children need to be in church, and she's the driving force behind Sunday worship, 19% of the time the family will follow mom. You follow me? When mom wakes up and says, it's time for the family to get involved in church, it's time for the family to be present in worship services. When she's the driving force, 19% of the time, dad and the children will follow. But when the father is the driving force, when the father's the one who says, our family gets up on Sunday mornings, we get ready, and we go to worship service, 96% of the time, the wife and the children will follow. Today, my goal is not to remind our dads of their duties or their responsibilities, per se, so much as to encourage you and remind you of your importance, Dad. The respect and the dignity that belongs to you simply because you're a father. Fathers play an extremely important, vital role in our families and in our nation today. I want to use a very, very familiar story from the book of Daniel. Daniel is one of five major prophets in your Old Testament. The five major prophets begin with Isaiah, which follows the poetic literature in your Old Testament. They begin with Isaiah, then Ezekiel, then Jeremiah, then Lamentations, and Daniel is the fifth. From Daniel chapter 3, we're going to learn about three real men of impact. That's the title of the message today, Man of Impact. If you find a man like the one I'm going to describe today, ladies, you ought to latch on to him because that's what you're looking for. But before we get into this, I want to point out a, a basic Bible study help. Whenever you study your Bible, you're, you're striking a balance between two ideas, the ordinary and the supernatural. 
to many Bible scholars, the book of Daniel is primarily a book of prophecy. You see, from the book of Daniel, we learn incredible details about the coming great tribulation that follows the rapture of the church. We understand what's going to happen during the great tribulation. We understand its timing and its duration. But the book of Daniel is not simply a book of prophecy. It is also a book of people. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Daniel himself were men, ordinary men, just like you and me. There's an interesting relationship between the supernatural and the ordinary in our faith walk. First of all, the ordinary is often overlooked when we're seeking the supernatural. Man, I've seen this so many times throughout my ministry. Somebody sees an answer to prayer. God is involved in their life. God has intervened. He's done something extraordinary, and it creates a hunger within us. We want to see more of the supernatural in our ordinary existence. We want God to answer more of our prayers. We want God to intervene. We want God to abruptly halt our circumstance and change the course of our circumstance. Sometimes in the pursuit of the supernatural, as we get more and more hungry for it, we lose touch with reality. We lose touch with the ordinary. When you're wrapped up in the supernatural, it's easy to get frustrated when the ordinary doesn't go away. On the flip side, when you're surrounded by the ordinary, our faith in the supernatural can suffer. You see, conversely, when you're overcome by the routine of daily living, it's easy then to downplay God's supernatural working in our lives. Here's what I mean by that. If your life is all about the job, if it's all about making money, if it's all about the career, if it's all about success, if it's all about paying bills, if it's all about raising children, the kids, responsibilities, frustrations, and the stress, the ordinary part of life, then you're going to find it difficult to believe and trust God as a part of your daily life. And trust me, he's there. The supernatural aspect of your relationship with God is bound to suffer when focused on the ordinary. The book of Daniel is a great illustration, a great example of the proper balance between the ordinary and the supernatural as they play themselves out in our lives. In Daniel chapter 3, we're going to read about three men who stood up to a king and were sentenced to death. God intervened in their circumstance, which is pretty dramatic, by the way. If you know the story, he did so in a very dramatic way. But before God intervened with the supernatural, these three men lived very ordinary lives. They were filled with difficulty. They were filled with challenge. They were filled with frustration. They were filled with injustice. My hope is that the men of Grace Community Church will want to become men like these men and that the rest of you, the audience, will recognize one when you see him. Now, by way of background, before we read, let me just put you where we are. By this time in Israel's history, the grand glory days are long removed, far removed. The glory days of an expanding kingdom, an influential kingdom, a powerful kingdom under King David and King Solomon, well, that's 400 years in the past. Currently, in Daniel chapter 3, Israel is not in charge of their own destiny. They are exiled from Babylon. Babylon is the dominant power of the region. And men like Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, they were handpicked out of Israel and taken to the capital city in Babylon 
in order to serve the king. These were the best and brightest among the Israelites. During this time, Israel had almost lost her identity because she was no longer a sovereign nation. She couldn't worship the way she once worshiped. She couldn't do the things she once did. It's a very dark and difficult time for God's people. Let's pick up the story in Daniel chapter 3 and verse 7. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, and all kinds of music, all the nations and all the peoples of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. King Nebuchadnezzar had denounced the, the God of the Jews and had set himself up as a God, and now all of these people from various backgrounds and different worship cultures were expected when they heard the music to bow down, to hit the ground, and kneel before this golden image that Nebuchadnezzar had built. Verse 8, at this time some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, may the king live forever. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold, and that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. Verse 12. But there are some Jews, they continued, whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon. He names them Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These are the men we're going to focus on today who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold that you've set up. I don't know if you picked up on it yet or not, but these men that surrounded the king were brown nosers. I, in fact, I think that's in the original Hebrew text, brown nosers. The first thing that seems obvious to me about men of impact is that they're different. That's number one. Men of impact are different. Now, notice, they're not different because of their nationality. They're not different because of their race. They're not different because of their ethnicity. In our current popular culture, politicians love to separate Americans by pointing to their ethnicity and their race. When I grew up, America was considered the great worldwide melting pot. Because people came from all around the globe to the land of opportunity, and we were blended together, and one identity we held, and that was Americans. Not so today. Politicians love to pit black against white, or black against Mexican, or male against female. It's all about the groups. These men weren't different because of their group. They were different because they stood out from popular culture. The king had surrounded himself with a group of yes men. That's why they started in verse 9. Oh, king, live forever. These were brown nosers is what they were. They were yes men. They walked familiar, well-beaten paths. They marched in step to the majority, and they rarely ever stood on their own convictions because they had none. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, however, answered to a higher authority, and they knew it. Dads, too many fathers in America are duplicates. They're carbon copies of the cultural stereotype, and that needs to stop. You are not simply a working man. You are not simply an immature man. You are not simply a providing man. You are not simply a super man. You can be the man God's called you to be, and that's important because, number one, God is the master of whatever we do. 
For the man of impact, God is the boss. God is the master of whatever I do, whether I weld for a living, sell cars for a living, or pastor a church for a living. God is the master of whatever I do. Colossians 3.17, everything you do or say should be done to obey Jesus as Lord. You see, by being different, these men stood out in culture. They weren't carbon copies of popular culture. They were unique. They refused to follow the crowd when the crowd was moving away from God. Men like these realize that God is the ever-present Lord, God, guide, and master in their lives. They've convinced themselves that God's their master. There are certain things that please God, and there are certain things that displease God. They try to avoid the latter. They try to embrace the former. Men like these do the right thing even when no one is looking. Why? Because God is their master. God is a part of every part of their lives. As I said earlier, God is not simply a Sunday school badge they pin to their lapel as they walk into the church. No. God is consulted in every manner of their lives. Marriage issues, family issues, raising children, paying bills, work responsibilities. A man of impact recognizes God as master in all we do. Number two, the manner of what we do matters. To a man of impact, how I do what I do matters. It's not up for grabs and it's not up for debate. According to Colossians 3 verse 23, don't just do the minimum that will get you by. Do your best. Work from your heart for your real master. The idea here, men, is enthusiasm, authenticity, transparency, honesty. Men of impact are men who put themselves into the right things, and then they do it wholeheartedly. Just imagine for a moment the strong homes that we could build in this community if we can convince men to pour themselves enthusiastically into their marriage and their family like they pour themselves into their work or pour themselves into their recreation. These men were different because they would not bow in the face of retaliation. That's what marked them approved by God. Let's pick up the story in verse 13. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold that I've set up? Now I'm going to give you one more chance. Verse 15. When you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, this is the litmus test, evidently. Nebuchadnezzar has drawn a line in the sand. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves before you. I love that. I totally love that. Imagine sticking your finger in the face of the President of the United States and saying, I don't need to defend myself to you in this matter. You are an authority, but you're not the authority. We do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. Love it. God, give us men like these men. You don't have to defend yourself to popular culture because you don't 
display the sign of the rainbow during the month of June, you don't have to defend yourself to cancel culture. You don't have to do it. What strikes me about these men, number two, is that they were fearless. They were fearless. They wouldn't bow down to the king. Even in the face of deadly retaliation, they would not bow. We don't need to defend ourselves to you. That's a fearless statement. It's amazing courage in the face of certain death. That's why I say these men were fearless. Now look, I've heard many, many men promise me over the years when trying to convince me how much they love their family that they would die for their family. Man, I'd give up my life for my family. Dad, today I'm trying to convince you to live for your family. It takes more courage to live for your family than it does to lay down your life for people you love. Be deliberate. Be intentional in your home because you matter. Your position is so important, even destined before a sovereign God. You see, men who are fearless, men of impact, they lead in their home. They're not dictators. They don't rule with an iron fist. They simply lead. They practice what they preach. Because in a home, example isn't one thing to teach children. It's the only thing to teach children. Discipline your kids. Love your wife. Not better than your dad loved your mom or better than the neighbor loves his wife. Love your wife as Christ loved the church. That's the standard. Admit your weaknesses. That involves transparency, owning my failure, and own your responsibility. It takes a fearless man to accomplish those things. And yet, as I look around popular culture, I see a lot of fearful men afraid of what someone's going to say, afraid of what someone's going to think, afraid of speaking out for something they believe because they just might be canceled. What keeps a man fearful and not fearless? A lack of conviction. A lack of knowing what I believe and then acting on it. Every day in the state of Michigan, a county court judge named the Honorable Frederick Byrd shut down his courtroom at noon. It was lunchtime, and he told everybody, you can go have lunch, or you can stay in the courtroom with me, and we'll pray together, and I'll read the scripture out loud. In spite of multiple written warnings by citizens for the separation of church and state, and protesters that would build every few months outside his courtroom, Frederick Byrd, the judge, continued this, quote, unconstitutional practice until he retired just a few years ago. Men, that's fearless. That's conviction. God, give us more men like that. The three men in our text, they were, they were daring. They were fearless because they stood for something in the face of retaliation. God wants men at Grace Community Church to do the same. And oh, by the way, if you haven't realized it yet or taught your children this yet, everything in life that's worth having, that's worth acquiring, that's worth achieving comes difficultly. It's very difficult to get the good things in life. Let's keep reading verse 17, and we'll wrap it up. They continue their conversation with the king. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. God can deliver us. This is what they believed about God. That's what made them fearless. They knew that God was able. The God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. Verse 18, I love it. But even if he doesn't, even if he does not, we just want you to know. In other words, 
I could be dead in 10 minutes, but before I'm gone, I want you to know something, King. I love it. I love it. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. The last thing that I'd like to point out is these men were dedicated to the right things. These men were dedicated. Too often, fathers, men, dads were dedicated to the wrong things, the wrong people. Too often we say yes to the one we should say no, and we say no to the ones we should say yes. Every father, every man actually in this auditorium needs to come to grips with this question. What or who has my unwavering dedication? What or who has my unwavering dedication? Let me ask you a question. How would your wife answer that for you? How would your children answer that for you? It's our responsibility, men, to dedicate ourselves to the things and the people that really matter the most. And this can be tough for men because men are constantly striving for a balance of providing for our families and spending quality time with our families. Now, as a man, I'm hardwired to protect and provide. It comes natural to most men. I'm driven to provide for my children, to provide for my family, to protect my home. That's part of my DNA. It's how God wired me fresh out of the box. However, I got to work at this quality time thing, don't I? Every man in the audience who's a father is trying to strike that balance. The balance between giving good things to your kids and giving your time to your kids. The man of God, the man of impact, has to look to God constantly for direction and example as to how to find that balance. And notice, these men at this point in the story, they're dedicated to something that has yet to be proven. When they stood before Nebuchadnezzar, they said, we don't know how this is going to go. But we're dedicated to our God, knowing he is able, and we're men of conviction. And we stand on those convictions. God hadn't saved them yet. Again, they could be dead in 10 minutes. They didn't know how this was going to turn out. But they were dedicated to what they knew to be true about God, what hadn't been proven yet. They trusted him. They took him at his word. And sometimes men of impact realize that dedication means dedication to something that might cost me everything. When I was a student at Tennessee Temple University many, many years ago in Chattanooga, Tennessee, the local high school put on a week-long fair for the kids. It was after school, and every day from 3 o'clock to 7 o'clock, they'd have this little outdoor fair. It was a fundraiser is what it was. And one of the men who helped that fair kind of fly was a man by the name of Doug Howell. Now, we knew Doug Howell because he was very visible on the campus. Doug Howell was a father himself, and he was the chief mechanical engineer at Tennessee Temple University. In other words, he was responsible for fixing everything on that sprawling campus in the middle of Chattanooga, an old and aging campus, I might add. One of the ways they raised money was to have rides at this fair. And one of the rides that Doug handled was the man lift. The university had this big uh, hydraulic lift. It was a big square unit. It would hold about four men. had hydraulic cylinders on each corner, and it would go 30 feet into the air. Now, if you're a 10-year-old and you're with your giggling friends and you go 30 feet in the air, that's quite a ride for a little 10-cent ticket, right? He would ride the kids up 
and they'd look around at the fair, and then he'd bring them back down safely. For three days, the ride went off without a hitch. But on Thursday afternoon, with two giggling seventh graders in that basket with him, when they got to the very top, 30 feet above the pavement below, something on the corner of that man lift buckled. One of the braces buckled, and it slammed to the ground. Witnesses said they had to literally pry Mr. Howe's arms from around those two little girls because he had pressed them into his chest and he had taken the full blow against his back. It killed him that day. He died for two little girls he didn't even know. And he did so because Doug Howe was a man of impact, a man who knew what was right, a man who knew what was wrong. For years following that tragedy on our campus, Everyone knew the name of Doug Howell. I pray for you, and I pray for me, that one day we won't have to die for people to know our name. Men, you can be men of legacy, and you will be if you stand out in culture, not necessarily against it. I bring that to your attention because it breaks my heart to see good and godly men have nothing more to contribute to culture than a clenched jaw and a raised fist about those crazy people in Washington. You see, men of impact don't necessarily stand against culture. They stand out in culture. And that's my prayer for the fathers of this church. Here's how I want to end the service. In a minute, we'll stand, and I'm going to ask every father in the room, if you don't mind, just make your way down the aisle and kind of gather at the front, back down the aisles. As a matter of fact, let's do that now. Everybody stand, if you would. I'd like all the dads up front, I want to have a prayer for you before we quit. All the dads up front, please, I want to pray for you. Crowd in, nice and tight here in the front. We'll go down the aisles if we have to. Men, you are special, more special than you realize. God has ordained your role of leadership in your home, and I pray for you. It was my goal this day to encourage and challenge you to be men of impact. Let's pray. Father, look at these men. God, they bless my heart. Each one represents a family, a wife, children, little boys and little girls who are looking to them as a role model, an example. Father, use us. Use us in our homes to lead. Use us in this church to be present and stable. And use us in our community to stand out in culture. God, I pray it. In the name of Jesus Christ, with all of, that rep- with all of that represents, and I pray it for his sake. Amen. God bless you, fathers at Grace Community Church. I will see you next time. Make it a great week. Happy Father's Day.